in the refugee camp, when the sky is a roof and open floor is your house, that's not much of a problem because there's no problem having a small or big. You can use your open ground as, as, as much as possible. And there's no fear that the water can come down because all the sky is your roof and so clear that there's no problem water been dropping from this side or that side of the corner. The air conditioned completely all the time. The air is in conditioned to freely move around. So that was the situation for some time. And uh, the biggest problem people think from other side is the food, what they eat, what they drink. But that is not the biggest one. The biggest problem was toilet. Tens of thousands of people are sitting on the bank of a river and with no toilet at all. Welcome to That's So Hindu, the podcast brought to you by the Hindu American Foundation. I'm Matt McDermott. In this episode, Dipali Kulkarni speaks with Boon Pia Karel, a refugee from Bhutan who emigrated to the United States, settled in Ohio, and is now a city council member. He talks about what led to the Hindu community of Bhutan being expelled from the Himalayan nation, the challenges of being a refugee in India, and his journey to and success he and his family have found in the United States. Hope you enjoy it. Karel, a former refugee from Bhutan, resettled in the United States in 2009 after he and 120,000 fellow Bhutanese Nepalese were forcibly pushed out of Bhutan and their civil, human, and political rights were stripped away. Buan says he will always be grateful to this nation for giving him a second chance. He and his family moved to Ohio a few years ago, and he became a U.S. citizen in 2015. Buan made history in November 2019 when he became the first Bhutanese American to be elected to public office in the United States. Buan deeply values his American citizenship and its inalienable protected rights, and he now works to pay it forward and create new opportunities for the people of Reynoldsburg, Ohio. Thank you so much for being uh, with us here today, Buan. We're very happy to have you. Thank you and namaste. Namaste. So um, there's a lot that I wanted to talk to you about, but um, everything starts with your journey from Bhutan to Ohio. So how did you end up in Reynoldsburg, Ohio? What was the journey out of Bhutan like and what were the circumstances that compelled you to leave? All right. Thank you. Thank you again. And once again, I'm so much it's so much fulfilling that you gave me this opportunity to speak with you today. So let me start with our history uh, beginning at Bhutan. So Nepali-speaking people are living in the, staying in that land from 16, 1680, that is a history. And until 1957, there was nothing of a problem. Uh, nobody in that country was a citizen because in 1957, Citizenship Act was enacted. And according to the law of that land, everybody was staying in that piece of land on or before 1957 were given given citizenship. In that process, our parents, but I was not born at that time, got the citizen and became a citizen of the country. 1957 to 1972, there was not much of the thing, no problem. And 1972 to 1984, the problem was being cooked. The government of Bhutan, under the leadership of the king, enacted a citizenship act and the change in citizenship law, under which they meant and they make that one country, one language, one religion, and one dress. So these were the 
things that were mandated under that one. In 1988, they did a census based on their own parameter and they divided a family into seven different categories. Somebody is called, they call F, F1, F2, F3, F4, F5, F6, F7, based on their own willingness, whichever way they wanted to put. So with that and many more, many more other things, and they started enforcing the law. During the enforcement, the majority of the Nepali-speaking people who were in southern Bhutan were Hindus. And Bhutan is ruled by a king, which is Buddhist. So before this problem, we even did not know what is the difference between Hindus and Buddhists. Because I remember very clearly, we used to go to Buddhist monastery and play around and eat the food, whatever. And the Buddhist uh, monks and the other Buddhist people from the Buddhist Dharma, Buddha Dharma, they used to come to our mandir and uh, do all kinds of activities, bhajan, kirtan and things. And in, at that time, there were so much of things that happened. And when they started enforcing that uh, one race, one language law, government of Bhutan intentionally destroyed uh, our culture, dharma and language. Like the uh, language, Nepali language was banned. And so much so that if you cannot speak the language of the king, you are not allowed to pay the tax. And one way is good that you don't have to pay the tax. But the consequence is that if you do not pay the tax, there's a penalty of not paying the tax. So there's no way out. And uh, in the meantime, they were also forced to um, the, uh, wear that dress wherever you are, whether you are cutting the trees or plowing a field, you name anything, a farming work, you have to have that dress of the king worn all the time. Otherwise, you are anti-national or non-national. So the campaign campaign was one race, one nation. Uh, yes, one country, one people, one language. One and one, one people, yeah, one language. One uh, religion. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, like especially for uh, women in the Hindu communities, and they used to keep a long hair. And the Buddhist tradition, they have a short hairs, and they were forced to cut their hair. And so much so that in our funeral rites, people were forced to do their funeral rites according to Buddhist tradition, which is very very different than the tradition that we follow. I think you may be aware that in our tradition, the Hindu tradition, generally true for all the Hindus, I believe, that we do not use any alcohol or meat all the time. But I would like to say that during the uh, funeral things, they don't use at all. But it, but in certain Buddhist tradition, there's a lot of use of those uh, items there. So using the uh, meat and the um, alcoholic beverages during the funeral thing, that's the worst thing possible for any Hindus. So. Uh, that thing was there, and uh, when the census divided the family, there was a mass demonstration by the members of the community telling that this is too much, we cannot bear. Mm-hmm. And the mass demonstration was considered anti-national, and government of Bhutan enforced the military rule. In that process, government of Bhutan systematically and arbitrarily arrested hundreds of uh, innocent uh, Nepali-speaking Hindus raped many uh, Hindu women, girls and uh, children, 
and killed many people when they were put in the jail. So in that process, um, our parents, so I do remember that particular day what happened. All of a sudden and around, we, we, are, we were farmers. I mean, I would say my parents were farmers. We were farmers, son of the farmer. And my, my dad, who is 98, who is right now here in Reynoldsburg, he was very well-known Jyotishi astrologer mm-hmm. and very well-respected person in the community. And he also was a contractor. And uh, all of a sudden, around five o'clock in the evening, they came to a house, kind of hurried. And they told us that they are living. You know, in a village, in a tiny, very small village in the remote part of the world, when going means we always think they are going to the market. So all the kids, we are kind of excited and happy. But within a few minutes or within a few seconds, I would say, there was so much confusion and fear and all kinds of things was happening in that place. I, have, I was like 10 years, nine and a half, 10 years old at that time. I remember those, those situations of that particular day. And um, we were selecting, the, naming the candy, which what we want, but even without making those fully pronounced, there was something happened. So they say we are living and we'll come very soon. And never in our life, in my life, I have ever thought that this, this could, this could happen. And immediately they say that they are uh, living and within an hour or so, they just left the house. We did not know where they were going and why we were not taken, all kinds of things happening. They told that they'll come in a, in a week time, but now it is almost 30 years we are here. Never been to that, they never been to their house again. Wait, so let me make sure I'm understanding this timeline. So they uh, came, so there was, you know, a huge effort to homogenize the country and, and specifically practice what the majority culture, which in Bhutan is Buddhist, did in terms of um, clothes, in terms of funeral practices, in terms of language and so on. And then when there were protests, when protests erupted, rightly so to, um, you know, protest all of these efforts to homogenize a diverse nation, the government cracked down on them basically through a process of intimidation, which included arresting and raping, um, Nepalese Hindus in Bhutan, they, uh, compelled, uh, various individuals to leave. Right. And so how does the census play into that? Cause you mentioned that there was a census. Three things happened simultaneously in, uh, in the, after the eruption of the, uh, after the protest, they, they started doing all kinds of things and the census bringing the people like, like our, in our family. And that time we were, I think seven, eight of us were there. So my mom was made form one. That means she's a genuine citizen according to their parameter. My dad was form two. That means he's non-national. And we kids were, um, three of us were form six. I don't know what is that F6 means. I I, I refer that. And one of uh, my, my brother was F4. They have their own parameter to divide whom, whom they want to do. And once that, that division is finished, only F1 is allowed to live in the country. All other F, either they have to get clarification from the government or they have, they have a choice to leave the country. So that's how the census is made to divide and make sure that 
almost all the family members are in different uh, form, like they call it form. Why I don't know what is the the form means, but different category, different different file or whatever. So that's how, uh, like, ideally, according to the king's idea, my mom is allowed to stay in Bhutan. Rest of us would to leave the country. So just that before that time, you were all Bhutanese citizens who were Nepali speaking Hindus. You were you had all been citizens up until that point. Yes, almost all of us are citizens by the law of that land of Citizenship Act of 1957. According to that law, we were citizens of that, and that land. And uh, they left. And now it's almost 30 years. We are still here. We never know we, we, whether we would get chance to go and see the place of birth of that country. Because now this is my country. That, is, that was a country of birth. That's all I have to say. And once they left... I was the oldest of other three siblings in the house at that time. So I was nine and a half years old. Until then, I did not cook. I did not milk the cows. I did not cut the grass and put the fodder uh, to the cows. And there's so many things in the village house. And I got that responsibilities that night. We cried quite a lot. And we did all kinds of things, but I have no choice. I have to take care of other younger siblings. So your parents came to America and, and you were waiting for them in Bhutan. Is that right? No, no, no. They left house and they left for unknown place where they, we don't know. Oh. It was in 1993. Okay. So that, I'm talking about that night time. Mm-hmm. And once that happened, we were there for a few days. We were just, we did not know when and what. And like, I oldest one is nine and a half and other three are younger than that. My youngest brother was one and a half year. Other one was two and a half year. My sister now she's in Netherlands. She was six, something like that. And that is the age group of four kids. My parents, our parents left in the house. After five, uh, five days, my dad's friend from the village, he came to our house in a fearful manner because the government has made such a uh, control in the village that if they go to our house, which is considered abandoned house, the person that goes to our house is also a anti-national because my parents are left. So nobody wanted to come to our house and we cannot go to our household because people don't want to talk to us because if this, if government finds that they are talking to us, they will be in the international. So there's such a division of fear exist all the time. So he told us that he got to go. And uh, I did not know what to do. We started, I remember catching his shirt and crying, where to go? So he said, got to go. And he just left within a few minutes. And we slept that night. The following day, we got up, clean our house, you know, and the, there's a fireplace in the middle of that one. Everything clean. We went to come back. We kept all the utensils in the place. We made a big fire. We, whenever we leave the house, we used to make a fire uh, and left. That's one bus used to come from our, our village to the town. And from there, we got into that bus and we left. Because we were told to go and we left. Where? No, don't know. And we came to a village, uh, town called Gelefu. Now that the, I, I, I'm, I'm hearing that government has changed all those names of the, our villages in different names, town, everything's been changed because they just want to make sure that our history is erased completely and because they are writing our history. 
Then we came to that town and that's the first time I ever traveled to that town, never traveled before. And there were three kids, uh, younger, younger uh, children with me, younger siblings with me and never been to India. Absolutely not uh, ever in the life. So we are in that town and in the village, if you grew up in a village, you know, everybody, not only you, but they know that like five generations, your grandfather, grandfather's grandfather, all those things. And anywhere in the village knows. But once I was in the town, there are so many people, but nobody knows it. And we got out on a bus, in a bus station, first time coming there. And all three kids, we started crying there. Nobody bothered because of the town. And I carried the older brother. My sister carried the younger one. We started walking. We started walking in the direction we think is right. Nobody detected us. Because uh, there are many other families like us. Uh, they were doing the same thing, but nobody talked uh, with each other because everybody wants to sneak out, uh, do whatever they want to do. So we keep on walking, walking, walking. And finally, we reached out to India where our parents were there and we got united. So the question comes, why did they leave the earlier night? I mean, a week or two before. The reason is if my dad had not chose to leave, if my dad had chose to stay in the house, uh, there was a very high chance, not very, I definitely would have been arrested. And uh, unfortunate situation could have happened to my mother because many, many women were raped in a similar situation. But they did a good choice uh, leaving uh, home. And they did not take us kids because they did not know where they were going. Because they're not taking the road. They're walking the forest and the river and jungle and all those things to escape wow. the country. We were in India. Unfortunately, India being the largest democracy and the big uh, Hindu uh, majority country in the world, they put us in an army truck and dumped into Nepali side of the border. Nepal had nothing to do with, we didn't have, Nepal doesn't have a uh, border with Bhutan. Nepal, uh, India has a big, uh, larger stake, but India did not give us a refuge uh, in their land. Instead, they used the military. But Nepal had a connection with us, with a language, that's all. And they gave us a refuge. Thanks to Nepal, ever grateful for that country. And we were in the refugee camp for 18 years. Oh, wow. In a, in a, yes, uh, Nepal, in the eastern district of Nepal, in Japa and Morong. I, we were in Japa called Golab refugee camp. So that's how we ended up in refugee camp uh, and the event involved and all kinds of things happened. I don't know how much you want me to talk about refugee camp. There are so many things, um, struggles, and there are also some good things because when you talk about refugee camp, means there are always uh, difficult situations are there. But there are some, some good things there because we were there for 20 years. And some people are there for 30 years. So when you are 30 years, a whole two, three generations are there, that means there has to have something good. So let me tell you a couple of challenges there. I'm going to, I'm going to hear these challenges and then I need to, I need, uh, I have so many questions I want to ask you. So I'm going to then transition into talking about your time in city council, but I can only imagine the difficulties you had at the refugee camp. Please share. In the refugee camp, when the sky is a roof and open floor is your house, that's not much of a problem because there's no problem having a small or big. You can use your open ground as, as, as much as possible. And there's no fear that the water can come down because 
all the sky shield roof and so clear that there's no problem water been dropping from this side of that side of the corner. The air conditioned completely all the time. The air is in condition to freely move around. So that was the situation for some time. And uh, the biggest problem people think from other side is the food, what they eat, what they drink. But that is not the biggest one. The biggest problem was toilet. Tens of thousands of people are sitting on the bank of a river and with no toilet at all. So more than a food, toilet is a problem. Food used to be a problem. And with a lot of different challenges and all, we are, I'm let, let me make a long story short there. Uh, we uh, People started, time passed, schools started by volunteers. And um, in that process, I finished my 10th grade and uh, went to, I got a scholarship, went to India, finished my 12th grade, finished my college there. And uh, in 2009, we got an opportunity to resettled in the United States. Uh, and in that process, we came to Colorado, Colorado Springs, and in Denver, we were there six years, then moved to Columbus in 2014. In 2016, we bought this new house and moved to Reynoldsburg. Wow, what a journey. <laughs> so from Bhutan to India to Nepal, and then uh, 18 years after staying in the refugee camp in Nepal, coming to uh, America in 2009. That's, uh, I can only imagine, you know, the amount of bravery and perseverance that took. Um, so this brings me to my uh, next question. So once you were here and you were in Reynoldsburg, Ohio, what inspired you to run for city council and serve the broader community? And you talked about, you know, um, how you weren't able to express your Hindu identity and practices from, you know, even things that were potentially tangential, like dress and language, you didn't have access to those things. So what were the, what part of your culture and your Hindu values inspired you to take action? This can divide in three different categories. Number one, I remember the anguish and the pain when we were forced out of our country, the only country that we knew. At that time, I used to think as a nine year, 10 years old boy, I used to think why this thing to us or to me. And coming to the refugee camp, uh, you are considered second class human being. We never had a, a power to exercise anything else. And after coming to the United States, I'm always grateful to this land because this is the land which recognized me or us as a human being. And, um, I thought that this is a time that we can express ourselves and uh, I mean, um, bloom the, uh, the, the power that we have. And in 2015, in September, I think 16, I, 16 September 16, 2015, that is one of the biggest day I think ever possible in my life. There could be many, many things could happen to any, any other people, but for me, that is the biggest day. Because that is the day that I got citizenship of this nation. So on that day, I got a chance to call, I have a home and I have a nation, I have a country that is America. Always, always thankful for this nation and thank you, America, because that is possible only because of her. And in that naturalization ceremony, if you've not been there, you must go there. A uh, federal judge who has always uh, presided those ceremonies. 
and in I don't know they the judge tells this thing to all the um, new citizens or he told that to us only. He told two different things, two things, particularly two things that as a citizen, uh, before that he asked question, what do you want to do? What and all kind of questions were asked. And he told, you are the newest citizen today and I want to congratulate, congratulations to all of you. Now, as a citizen, you have two important responsibilities. One is to vote and the one is to run to public office. So that touched me so hard that I think this country has given so much means I need to fulfill the responsibilities that was bestowed upon me by the judge. I took that as an order and I consider that I must fulfill. So ever since I've never missed an election to vote, I will make sure I'll vote and I'll take as many people as possible to vote uh, in all the elections after that. Before that I used to do, but after that I took that as an order of a federal judge to me. So I have to fulfill that order. Second thing is he also told that I have to, uh, as a citizen, your other responsibility is to run for public office. So I just fulfilled the orders. So that's why I was asked. I did run. I won. And now I'm a city council member. That's what a beautiful story. I got chills as you were describing, you know, the, the instructions that the judge gave to you and what your responsibilities are as a citizen. I have to say I was um, born here and I've never been told by anybody that it was my responsibility to vote, uh, to uh, run for public office. Although um, occasionally people might talk about the responsibility of voting, um, but that, I mean, uh, powerful words. And I think powerful words when you needed them most. So, uh, wow. And so the, you said there were three things that uh, really influence you. So can you just name those three? The one is to vote and the one is to run the public office. These are the two important um, uh, responsibility of a citizen. That's what I told. As I said, three, I think that two important responsibilities of a citizen that was told on that day. Mm -hmm. I think uh, the other one is, uh, loosely I call it, um, not by the judge, but I always call it because civically engaged. I think there's a very important responsibility of a citizen that, uh, when you don't have the right of citizenship, then only you realize what a citizenship right is. I, I hear people telling me what a citizenship is. That is a piece of paper. It is a piece of paper only when you only when you have a silver spoon in your mouth when you're born. When you don't have a citizenship, you realize the value of it. Mm. The, the, the value of citizenship, in my opinion, let me take it back. In my experience, not opinion, has it cannot be compared with anything else, not even to your uh, deities or, or God, because it's, it's, it's very emotional. It's, it's that important because if you don't have citizenship, then you are not a human. You're mm -hmm. less than human. So if you are not human, you cannot even go and do your um, uh, dharmic dharmic works. It cannot be done because we were we were doing our performing our dharmic rituals who were denied, were not allowed to do because we didn't, our citizenship was smashed and grabbed. Uh, and that's how the citizen is more important than any other things. That's how I think. And I do feel that that's true. <laughs> wow. So it's the process of getting citizenship more than anything else that influenced you. Is, right. Are there any other like uh, Hindu um, scriptures or um, anything from your, you know, um, 
the uh, Nepali Bhutanese culture that influenced you while you were making these important decisions? I mean, our house, we read Srimad Bhagavad Gita every single day. Um, I mean, I am personally, I'm a yoga practitioner. I do practice. I mean, in fact, today is a, um, a second day of Shivaratri. Last night, I just, I just chagrin. I did, I didn't sleep last night at all. I was just sitting and all night I'm doing meditation and singing and dancing, everything I was doing. And my uh, kids were there until noon or so, then they slept <laughs> and just got up, got up in the morning. And, uh, I mean, not got up like around three o'clock or three thirty. something. I took shower and started doing my morning meditation, things like that. And, uh, I learned from Srimad Bhagavad Gita, uh, particularly from chapter three and sloka 21. It says, Yadgada charati srestas tatta deve tarojana payat pramadam kurute lokas tadanuvartate. Once you see the meaning of this sloka, it is much more than anything we can do. Uh, get value from any other books that you can imagine to read. What does it say? Whatsoever a great man does, the same is done by the others as well. Whatever standard he sets, the world follows the same. I don't know whether I could become a great man or not. That is some, somebody has to decide something will be decided, but I have a limited number of times on this earth that I know for sure. So in that limited number of time on this earth, if I could do the best I can, I think I could do the, some uh, great work that I was supposed to be doing. That's what I feel. And I, I think of my Swamiji, my, uh, my teacher, uh, which is Yogiraj Swamiji. Uh, he was there for 117 years and he is the one who inspired and does so many things to our community and to me personally. And that was, this is the particular shloka I heard that he used to recite all the time and I get the inspiration from this sloka and Srimad Bhagavatam I'm sorry Srimad Bhagavad Gita and also there are many other slokas but this is one that that hits me very very core of my heart and uh, that's what I, I, I that, that might have been and the inspiration for me to do something which I wanted to do nice can you say the meaning of the shloka one more time whatsoever the great man does the same is done by the others as well. Whatever standard he set, the world follows the same. Hmm. So the purpose of becoming a city, a city council uh, member, city councilman, and setting the standard is to uh, inspire your community and the surrounding Reynoldsburg, Ohio community. Yeah, definitely. That's one. <laughs> And also there are multiple things and that's, um, I mean, it can go from there. That's the, that's, let's say that's a root. At the same time, there are many members of the community. Some of them are former Bhutanese, some of them are non-Bhutanese, some of them are a mainstream, uh, long-term American. We are new Americans. Their voice uh, is not represented in the policymaking uh, places. So I felt that uh, as a as a citizen, as a, to fulfill my responsibilities, I need to listen to them. And you know, as a city council, um, there are many things to be done, like roads, sidewalks, electricity. That is a that is a, a responsibility given to the city council member by the city code. I mean, uh, city charter. So 
I, I felt that those things need to be addressed by hearing the voice of all those uh, members of the community. So I think I need to fulfill those. And I jumped into it and which I'm doing as, as much as I can today. That's great. And I think a lot of people from the Hindu community can be inspired by your story to also run for uh, elected office because we do have those duties and that dharma to contribute to um, our communities in every way. Um, So I hope that your uh, story inspires a lot of young people um, to um, take up that same take up those same goals and also be able to communi- uh, contribute to their broader communities. So I just have one more yeah. question for you. Um, and then I want to just, I'll just have one more question. And then I want to jump to, you know, talking about the Bhutanese refugee community in Ohio overall. So the last question I have about your journey is how has your faith been affected by your journey so far? Um, what strength have you gained from the Hindu community, prayer, scriptures, and um, what inspiration have you gained there? Okay, one thing I would like to say, I, instead of u- using the word faith, can I use dharma? Yes, I think that works. <laughs> uh, okay. That's what I wanted to do. So I wanted to tell because I think we are a little bit different from faith, um, but that's not the point here, but just wanted to let you know what, how, how I feel. Uh, from a Hindu dharma, the perspectives of Sanatana or Hindu dharma uh, viewpoint, there are many, many things that influenced. Um, I mean, when I was taking the oath of office, um, at that time, I took oath of office in Srimad Bhagavad Gita. And that is the proudest moment for me because I was forced out of my country of birth because in one way or the other, I was not allowed to do that. And today, our my history is written by the ruler of that country. And even now, there are some Hindus who are inside that land right now. They cannot tell this thing. Because if they tell, the consequence for that is much harder than anything uh, you and I can imagine. There is a chance they will be killed. If not, they'll be in the jail for a certain X, Y number of X, X, Y, Z number of years. Who knows what? Because there is no judicial system. So when I hold that Srimad Bhagavad Gita in my hand and took the oath of office, I felt that I won the battle. Symbolically, entire community won the battle because our political right was taken on that basis and we got that back. So that was a thing. It's much more than anybody can think and compare one number two uh when you see which is a little bit of controversial i don't know if i should tell or not but i'm going to tell anyway uh, we don't have any role model if you go back to bhutan and if you see you come to india or nepal and uh, the political rights who have been denied to us, to the Bhutanese Nepali community since the beginning. So after coming here and getting into this position, means that many people can see that this is an option. This is a choice. Uh, people can take and they can go. And the city council is the uh, one of the uh, one form of government, like one of the three forms of government. People can go for higher and higher in office. 
and we have a uh, vice president from Indian descent this year. So there's so, so many things could be done. People can see those things. So definitely there are many things, but these are a few things which are in my mind right now. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing. What a great moment to be able to, you know, take your oath of office on the Bhagavad Gita. I can only imagine how proud you were and how proud your family and your entire community was at that moment. Um, so this is a really good transition to um, some of the questions I wanted to ask you about, you know, the story of the Bhutanese refugee community in Ohio and in the United States overall. So you you all were, you know, displaced. A lot of you went to India, then Nepal. Um, and in, obviously, uh, you mentioned that your one of your sisters is in the Netherlands. So there's really, you know, a dispersal. Um, once uh, your family left Bhutan and for a lot of the Bhutanese um, refugee community. But for the United States, um, and especially for Ohio, I want to hear first about some of the successes you've had. Because you mentioned uh, time and again uh, in this conversation uh, how grateful you are uh, to be in the United States, which has freedom of religion and which respects each and every person's rights as a citizen. and. Um, I think the successes of your community, you know, definitely speak to that. So um, would you please share what have been some of the successful initiatives of the Bhutanese refugee community in Ohio? Um, and, you know, what are some of the um, successes of individuals or um, families that you've seen that have really shown a light on the opportunities you've been given in the United States? Oh, thank you. Thank you. There's a list, so I should highlight only a few. <laughs> so there are many, many, many successes um, achieved by uh, former refugees from Bhutan. Are currently many of them are citizens of the United States, all the residents of the United States. Uh, let me start from uh, the housing perspectives. One of the researcher uh, of the leading researcher who is doing research in Bhutanese, resettled Bhutanese in the United States. She's traveled to Bhutan multiple times. She's traveled to refugee camp multiple times. And she's traveled to various different states within the United States to talk and interview and with the Bhutanese, uh, former Bhutanese um, uh, refugees. She told me in one of my, her interviews, when you can quote me, that one of the most successful um, resettled communities is a Bhutanese community in the United States. That's what she told me. So I asked how. So she gave me a few examples. One of them is housing. If you see the city where I am living, um, the city of Reynoldsburg in Ohio, there's a significant number of residents are Bhutanese, former Bhutanese, uh, Amer now Bhutanese American citizens. And 10 years or 15 years before, they were either in the camp with maybe zero dollars or maybe 20, 30 dollars in their pocket. And today, in a 10 years' time, they come to the United States and they bought a house, uh, $300,000, $500,000 car. They have a decent job and they have also good, um, I mean, fair, okay amount of uh, money in the stock market or in the, in, the, in the bank balance. Those things are there. That's one thing. Number two, education field. Um, there are many, but I can I name a few. One member of the Bhutanese community is a proud moment that he is selected as a scientist in NASA. It was two months ago in Arizona. Um, 
I know his last name, Subedi, first name I don't know, but he's a, a now NASA scientist, junior scientist, which is the biggest achievement in the last 10 years. And his scores, they're making a significant progress. I think one of the members of the community represented in Europe and probably in, uh, in soccer. Uh, that's also happened in the last 10 years. Um, and the biggest one that happened in Columbus is entrepreneur. In terms of uh, starting a new businesses, in, because for Reynoldsburg, I need to know those things. I need to have those numbers in my on top of my fingers because I need to quote those things all the time here and there when people call me to speak. It was in 2017, uh, I did uh, my own survey for a presentation. At that time, there are 27 businesses. So I don't know if recently, um, but I can tell with very strong conviction that 60 plus businesses in the city of Reynoldsburg uh, um, jurisdiction today. And the uh, city of Columbus did a study in 2016, contribution by new Americans uh, to the local economy. It was $1 billion. That was the, uh, that was the study done by the city of Reynoldsburg, uh, sorry, city of Columbus, uh, not by Bhutanese alone, but by uh, new Americans, especially refugee and immigrants. Mm-hmm. So that significant contribution is through the Bhutanese um, uh, community member. And, and finally, uh, there are also a big um, um, possibility that we are seeing in the real estate market, um, like uh, mortgage and all those insurance companies, very strong headway by the Bhutanese community members. So there are a lot, but I just named a few uh, to you here. Yeah, that's, you know, that's the, you know, American dream is to be able to have all of those things that you mentioned, um, you know, a uh, good place to stay education, um, and to be able to contribute to the economy. So I think, I think you named something that resonates with, um, a lot of people from a lot of backgrounds, this is American dream and the success story. So, um, it's, it's, uh, fascinating to hear that that's also the story of the Bhutanese refugee community. Um, so something I wanted to, you know, discuss with you along the lines of successes is also the challenges. Uh, what challenges has the Bhutanese refugee community in Ohio faced and um, how have they been able to, you know, try and mitigate them and, and find solutions? So there are three things. Uh, every community is whenever they, whenever they settle, resettle, settle, whatever, whatever you name it. There are various sections of the communities. There are certain sections of communities, as I told you before, very well successful, integrated into the mainstream communities. I'm not using the word assimilated, integrated into the mainstream communities, right. and um, um, doing really, really well. At the same time, there are, uh, I mean, this may be true for all the communities, but I am right now wearing the hat of a Bhutanese community member, a Bhutanese community leader, let me say that way. Broadly divided into three different categories. One is top, they don't need any help. They can just go fly, 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 and then to, I don't know how far they want to fly. The second group in the middle and the third group at the bottom. The first, maybe let's put it 25%. Second is 50% and third is 25%. So for second group, a little bit of help here and there, but they can go. And the third group is 25% is there. So the 25%, maybe a little less than 25%, uh, let's say 15 to 20%, that group, that percentage group is struggling really, really hard. 
So the challenges are, there are many. And also, I would like to thank Hindu American Foundation for supporting uh, the Bhutanese American, former Bhutanese refugee, Bhutanese American, and a different level at different time. Um, one Hindu American Foundation did a great help in Cleveland when we have some certain situation in 2015, I think, 15, there was a big problem. The Hindu American Foundation jumped and helped us, rescued us from that problem. I was involved at that time as well. That's great to hear. And about the yeah, solution. And, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. That they made uh, it was possible only through the Indo American Foundation. I can tell very, very clearly that one. And I told that multiple times as well in, in different platforms, wherever I get a chance to speak. Uh, number one. Number two, yeah, the challenges, challenges are the biggest challenge for this 25% or 20% of the population of the Bhutanese American is school and parent engagement. Hmm. So what happened is that um, schools are communicating to these parents. I'm not blaming the school. They are communicating. Definitely they are making with a good intention. But the messages are, number one, given in English. Number two, uh, maybe 10 to 20% is translated into Nepali. Um, and number three, sometimes, uh, depending upon the situation, using the liaison or language interpreters. All three failed. Mm. And definitely they, they, they are supposed to be failing only. Because the need of that uh, smallest section of the society is very different than what the outsider thinks. Um, and uh, at least in my experience, uh, the, the service provider, I don't think they know how to do, but they have a good intention. And many times nobody wants to explore that opportunity. So the first challenge you identified is the, you know, communication between parents, children, and the schools. And there's a communication mm -hmm. breakdown and that's hindering the success of children in schools, um, Bhutanese refugee yeah. children in Ohio schools. Yeah. Both children and parents, not Ohio, all throughout the country, because I have experience working at, uh, at least in Columbia, in Denver, Colorado Springs, Greeley, and in various cities in Columbus uh, in Ohio. So it is fairly 98% the same problem. It is a, it's hindering success of those parents and the students. And it is a, um, what do you call it? That's a good word in English. Um, it, it is a vicious circle. It, it keeps on multiplying uh, and gaining ground from there. So that is one problem. Um, and I have a solution also. The uh, solution to this problem is we need to sit and listen to the members of those community and listen to us. At least I, I am ready to experiment one. I already gave the solution. This is what we can do it. Let's try. And that's always a uh, lip, uh, lip talk and things happen, but no action is taken. So that's one area. And the second challenge is substance use disorder and domestic violence. And again, that, that same category is a group, not to all. That same category is like substance use disorder has been gone so high. And the same category is school dropout. And same category, um, other social issues. Wow. Other social issues. 
for just a portion of the Bhutanese refugee community, um, not necessarily the entire Bhutanese refugee community. You have issues with communication and school success in school, domestic violence and substance abuse. So that's plenty to try and tackle. And I think you talked about some of the solutions, some of the things um, that you can, that the community can do to um, help the families that are struggling with communicating in school and, and student success and just sitting down with them, increasing the quality of communication between the schools and the parents. What are some of the solutions that um, you all have tried to work on already with, you know, the, at the city level, at the state level, um, in terms of domestic violence and substance abuse? Um, I mean, in the city and state level, I'm just doing that every single day. Uh, there are three ways of doing it. I see the solution and I can do only certain things. Um, so through the, let me go a little bit back. So let me tell you what happened. So I'll come back to that point through this example. Be the beginning of this pandemic, um, when the pandemic started, there was a, um, especially in Ohio, the governor used to give the uh, two o'clock um, press release every day. And I used to come sit at home and watch what is happening every single day. So what happened, the member of our community, other, other folks in the community, there are so many uh, community members who understand Nepali only. So governor gives this two o'clock speech in English, right? So what happened is that once, once it tells, once it delivered the speeches in English, that reaches to the English speaking population. And sometimes hardly very, very little, they also uh, translate, use a Spanish interpreter, that's all. And what happened to the members of the Bhutanese communities who are, especially in that category of 25% or 30%, in that particular cases, maybe around 40% of the population for those uh, language barrier issues. There was the news that is happening in Nepal, staying in Columbus, doing business in Columbus, and watching the news that happened in Nepal or a certain part of India, where there's a Nepali news and Darjeeling, Sikkim, all that area. So what happened? That brought a big division um, of the reality because at that time, Nepal, nobody was suffering, nothing was happening, but in America, there's so many people have been infected. That is, I'm talking about March, April last year. And that created, created a big gap. So what I did at that time, I started a Facebook Live event. So at two o'clock, sit with my pen and paper and a computer in front, start writing what, what, he, what the governor says and immediately uh, read a few newspaper, online paper and make the news. And around, uh, not around, at seven o'clock, seven to eight, I started uh, talking to one of the news outlets um, within the community of some other person and start Facebook Live and decimating the information of what is happening in Ohio. That didn't only work for Ohio, but it was gone all throughout the country because that's only the source of Nepali uh, news outlet. And I did that one after seeing the tragedy uh, within the community. And I tried to uh, pass this information, not information, pass this need and the solution. It doesn't get through because 
even within our community, our community, I mean, Seva International is part of our community. They want to calculate what is the benefit out of it. And the parameter of calculation doesn't work. This is one example. And uh, substance use disorder issues. I work with uh, many various service providers like Adam Board, Columbus Public Health, Franklin County Public Health. I bring them to my show, talk to them, what are the things, because uh, I mean, coming Wednesday, Franklin County uh, Health Commissioner is speaking in my Facebook Live event. Um, yesterday, the day before yesterday, I have another lawyer coming and speaking about housing issues. I, I do that twice a week and I bring different dignitaries from different government level and talk to them and uh, provide the information things. And um, mental health, that's what I'm doing. And also I advocated for um, mental health to be provided based on our culture and our language. So we have started a new American, uh, new American center where there are all the case workers are from Bhutanese community so that at least they can understand the initial conversation and the mental health is whole different issues, which when you start talking that I, I, I'm not going to finish in the two hours time. <laughs> so, but at least that initial connection is made there. Um, that's the second thing. And third thing is I also advocated very heavily that we need to have a liaison, family liaison, or I used to call community navigator. That person must be from the community. And that person is responsible for making connections between school and the community and the students. So that is the person who will be making those smaller connections that which school do not know and that this family do not know. So uh, there are now few communities and, and, and liaison working. And I also advocated, uh, and, and let me not use the word advocate, pleaded for help with the Seva International, particularly I'm talking about, because we did, they, they promised me that they will do something else in October, in November, December, January, February, March, April, now almost April, nothing has happened to find a community navigator position for our temple so that we can help the full members of the community, which are based on our temple to communicate with the school system and how to um, support the children in the need. I'm talking about those uh, 20, 30, now that 20% used to now getting into 30, 35% now that so much people are getting into that category. <laughs> Nothing is happening. So these are something and some challenges are going on, but we have some solutions also already implemented on our own. Mm -hmm. So let me tell you what we are doing. <laughs> so uh, with the pandemic coming, before that, we, we bought a temple in Reynoldsburg, which is called... Uh, uh, the name of the organization is Sri Vaishnav Parishad America, and the name of the temple is Lakshmi Narayan Mandir, Reynoldsburg. So we got a five acre land in 2018, and then we have uh, two houses there. The one is Mandir, one is community center. So before COVID, we were doing our regular Mandir work, uh, certain community activities, Nepali language class, some other Vedic classes, um, all those nature. And in fact, uh, we, I had invited the governor, he had accepted the invitation to come to our Mandir on April last year for Ram Nawali. Uh, unfortunately, that has to cancel for, uh, for the obvious reason. And from April to June, July, we didn't do nothing in that Mandir. Obviously, we are confused what to do, what not to do. Everybody is afraid of talking. And in from in July, we, we were doing all the online bhajan kirtan and I know uh, all those uh, Vedic activities, but everything online. From July, August, we thought, okay, we got to do something else. So we created an online platform. So we started uh, various different activities. Number one is uh, we finished first Bhutanese Women Leadership Program 
was 13 women graduated last week. That is March 3rd, there was a graduation ceremony. I don't know, I would have invited you, but I don't know. I'll, I'll send you further information afterwards. So we finished that one. And we started guitar class that are, uh, we first piloted the program. There were 20 students were enrolled, 21 were enrolled. Now we have a second one starting this week. No, next week, we have 56 students enrolled. We started a book club. My daughter is running. My daughter is 13, but she's running a book club. And uh, she has uh, one group is uh, we call graduation, but the kids to encourage once they finish, we give some, uh, some incentive. So 12 week one program is done. So now she has a, uh, at that time, only 13 students were there. That's the pilot. Now we have uh, 30 students starting next week. We also have a storytelling program for the kids. And we also have a GED program started by Mandir. There are 18 people who started the pro, uh, doing these classes. And uh, now there are three programs in pipeline, and one is really, really a big need. Uh, and I do not have an answer, but uh, there's a big need. And we're also starting fewer that like uh, yoga. I'm a yoga practitioner myself, so I was studying yoga meditation class. Um, and these are some of the things that we are doing from the Mandir. So, um, so yeah, I think I covered um, challenges, yeah. solutions, what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, you you talked about when you were talking about the solutions you've brought. There's there's so many things that you've your community has already put into place, and so the only question I would have to ask about that is um, if we have any you know Bhutanese uh, community members listening, how can they access these resources? The Facebook Live event, um, the Women Leadership Program. How can they get involved, especially if they're from the Ohio community? So, uh, women leadership program is like, it's a, we've been, a, we were thinking to do physically or uh, online because it was a big debate. Now we are leaning towards doing online because um, uh, when you do online, the benefit is anybody from anywhere can participate. Right. So most likely people are listening and they can apply. We'll be starting that program from, from, uh, beginning of April or end of May. That's, that's not been finalized, but that is a timeline. So we'll put this, uh, registration form online. So we are going to take 30 students, there are more than 30 applicants are already there. So definitely we'll see if we have to make larger or things because this is just, we have finished one pilot. We may have to try to so that we can have a concretized thing what we're going to do. That's a woman leadership program. Facebook Live is done through our uh, public Facebook page. That's our Sri Vashna Parishat America. That's a public Facebook page. So we do event every, every, I mean, informational event twice a week, um, or Wednesday and Thursday, but there are things happening every other day. Once whenever there are things come up, the Facebook things. Can you actually go as far as to spell that out? Uh, what the name of the Facebook live, um, what the, what the name of the group is so that people can find it. Three S H R E E Vaishnav V A I S H N A V. But he said, P-A-R-I-S-H-A-D, America. Sri Vaishnav Parishad America. And there they can listen to um, basically American news in Nepali. I mean, uh, not necessarily news nowadays. Uh, During the time of pandemic, we did that one. But nowadays, like, 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 let's say next week, Franklin County uh, Health Commissioner is coming. Hmm. And the next day, uh, Ohio uh, specialists from Ohio gambling, um, I don't know what's the department, but there's other problems, a gambling problem. 
and the uh, certain section of the community. So I'm bringing the head of the gambling uh, enforcement or whatever department person, and he'll be talking about what are the things people can do if there is a problem in terms of gambling. So he will be talking about those resources. And the following week, I have a um, legal aid society. That person is coming and talking about what are the legal, uh, if people need a legal assistance, how they can uh, approach and what are the resources available. So that way I have all the speakers lined up for a month. And I Great. So access to yeah. resources is really, you know, one of the, one of the, um, goals of this, uh, Facebook live. Um, so, uh, before news now, um, being able to access information and as you were talking about before being able to, you know, participate in, you know, have civic engagement. And I think, um, you know, what you're doing in making information accessible to the Nepali Bhutanese community is, is really great. Um, so for the women's leadership program, that's something that's decided more at the local level, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So yes. local, local individuals can get in touch with you if they would like to participate in that. Um, and so, uh, they should be able to do that through the Sri Vaishnav, uh, Parisha America group, right? Right, right, right. Okay. Amazing. Um, so, I, ha- I just have one more question for you. Um, you've, you've talked uh, today and you've shared so openly about your story, um, the story of the Bhutanese refugee community in Ohio. Um, so now I just like to ask you, what do you envision as the future of the Bhutanese refugee community in the United States? Definitely. I, have a, I see a very bright and beautiful future for most Bhutanese Americans especially for those 80% and more. And there are 20% and less than 20%, I would say, are struggling. But that, that we have to have some programs in place to support them. Other 80% will try. 25% will just, we don't need any, they don't need any help. That the other 80%, sorry, 60% of those uh, other middle group might need some help here and there. But I see a very beautiful and bright future uh, for the Bhutanese American in the, in the days to come. I just take my own example sometime and I tell this story. When we came to this country in 2009, we had $15 in our hands between three of us, my daughter, me, and my wife. And today, like, I, this is kind of a joke I, for many people, but I, this is a reality for me. Whenever people are talking about uh, money and making more, I feel that I have huge amount of money. I have a tons of money and I'm so fulfilled that everything is there. Uh, and uh, it doesn't mean that I have a, that much of bank balance when you compare with anybody, but to me and myself, that's enough. So that way with the $15 and 11 years before, and I have so much today. And I think uh, there's so much of future uh, possibilities in the future. And the Bhutanese community will be definitely making um, a good future in this country and they will be civically engaged and more community advocates and more community leaders will come up and make this country proud, happy and contribute to this economy and to this nation in general. 
that's it for this episode of That's So Hindu. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's how you can help the show get discovered by more listeners. You can help ensure that more of these get made by making a donation to HAF at www.hinduamerican.org slash donate.